Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome to church, everybody. So glad you're here. What's up, online people? Thank you so much for being here. Hey, do me a favor and air fist bump somebody or wave to them and say, you picked a good weekend. You picked a good weekend. Hey, if you're online, text your neighbor, text, text somebody, tell them, hey, I've got a great weekend for you. Send them the link and get them to church. Um, hey, Super Bowl Sunday. Thanks for coming out on Super Bowl Sunday. Sometimes people skip church when it's Super Bowl Sunday. And I don't know why, because I always say my best message of the whole year for Super Bowl Sunday. So... Hallelujah. Thank God um, that, that you guys get it today. So I don't normally talk about like sports stats. This isn't like my necessarily the, the place that I'm, I'm crushing everything in terms of my sport nerddom knowledge. But um, I did a little bit of math, old math, and here's what I found out. Okay, so 53 members of each team, 32 teams. That means every year there's 1,696 players total in the entire NFL. That also means in that only one team is going to win, that means there are 1,643 losers of the Super Bowl every year. Okay? Now, I'm thinking about that. Now, we all know we're not going to win the Super Bowl because we're not even, you know, there's no options there. But for those who... You know, maybe they got signed for the first year or, you know, they're, they're thinking again, maybe this is the year as they come into a new season. Every one of them is close. Like they're close-ish, at least compared to us. They're like, what if I win? Like, like they've, been, they've been, their whole lives, they've been prepping. What if I go to the Super Bowl? What if I take home one of those rings? And their whole lives have been leading up to this moment and then they lose. They don't get to go. They don't get their heart's desire. That's got to be a little bit depressing. It's, it's encouraging on one level to know that you were even part of the NFL. But on the other hand, it's like, this has all been about going to the very top. And I wasn't able to go to the top. And even if I went to the very top, I still didn't win. What do we do when God's answer to our dream is no? What do we do when God's answers to our dream is No. I know for some of us, we're like, I don't even know if God's like in the dream business. And I hear that sometimes that's a hard thing to know. That's hard to discern. The Bible presents a God, though, that is very much into dreams. He's helping dreams come to pass. He gives people dreams. And sometimes he shuts down dreams because they're not the way that he wants to go. Either way, we all know what disappointment is like, don't we? We know what it's like to, I mean, I'm really hoping this thing comes together, whether it's just like, I hope we get to go to this restaurant and it's not too crowded, or I hope I get to go away to that school because that's where I've wanted to go for my whole life. We all know what it's like to, we're hoping for this thing and then it doesn't happen and how deflated that we can be. I want us to take a lesson from King David, and we're going to look at what is really essentially the same moment in his life, but from two different perspectives. One is, we'll call, we all know like how movies go, so we're going to call this, in the movie, is present day. It's really the distant past to us, but it's present day. And this is where King David, now old and kind of passing on his crown to his son Solomon, 
is giving him a summary talk and saying, hey, Solomon, here's what happened to me. And I want you to understand this lesson because it's a really important lesson about when God says no. So he's, he's teeing up Solomon saying, you're the next king. Let me tell you about this important lesson that I learned. Now, then we're gonna go into a flashback. And the flashback is when the lesson actually happens. This is when David is himself informed of the disappointment. Now, David, man, David, he, he, he's a complete upset. Talk about, you know, an upset. David is an upset. No one ever expected David to be king. He's this little shepherd guy. He's out in the fields all the time, man. He's with his little sheep. You know, he's writing songs to the Lord. He's kind of artsy. No one's thinking that he's a, he's a soldier. No one thinks he's going to go beat Goliath. No one thinks the prophet's going to come down and, and ignore all David's brothers. Really, actually, I know there is a king, but you're supposed to be the next king. You're the man after God's own heart. And David himself didn't expect this. He, he, he wouldn't assume this about himself. He didn't expect that he, he would ever face a giant like Goliath. He didn't expect that he was going to have a wicked, mad father-in-law that's going to chase him around the countryside and try to kill him again and again and again. He didn't expect to lose his best friend. And even after all that, he didn't expect, he hoped, but he didn't expect that he would be the kid that would become the great king. So even the fact that this happened at all is a tremendous surprise, at least of all to David, because he knows where he came from. But after it all happens, after he's installed, after he becomes the king, these things that were, there's no way that would ever happen. It happens. After he's installed, David has something on his heart because see, he's a true lover of God. He was writing worship songs to God when he was out in those fields, shepherding those sheep. He never expected this to happen. And so now that he's here, he's like, well, I have the power. Maybe I can be the one that builds a temple for our God. See, our God has never had a temple. Oh, we've got all these surrounding neighbor countries. Their gods have temples. Our God gets his tent all the way back from the days of coming out of Egypt. We just had this it was essentially just a, a great big tent. It was a very super holy tent. You had to be careful how you behaved as you approached and went into the tent, but it was still a tent. And David's looking at this, he's like, I could be the guy that could change this. I could bring us into a new era. Wouldn't that just be the capstone? I'd be the kid that came from nowhere. And not only did God use me to defeat all the enemies, but then I'm the one who gave him this dope temple. We're to learn from David what happens when God says no? Because that's what God says. And here's what we're going to find out. There are times when even though there are many times where I would make the case from God's word that he's very for your dreams. He's very for the positive things that you want to see happen. There are times when he loves us so much that he's willing to be faithful to his own plan instead of ours because it will help us the most in the end. So here we go. Let's go back to the flashback first. We're going to go back in time. This is the moment when it's actually all happening, okay? After the king, this is David, was settled in the palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around him. He said to Nathan, the prophet, the prophet, okay, this is like, imagine, this is kind of like an advisor, but it's, their official job is to hear from God and tell you what God says, to give you God's counsel on the matters. Here I am living in this house of cedar. I mean, he's like, I live in this palace, this cedar, that's luxurious. This is a great place that I live. While the ark of God remains in the tent. This ark, this is like, there's a portable piece of furniture and God's presence, God's very presence dwelt in the ark at first, initially in this tabernacle. And he's saying, 
well, God, God's ark is in a tent and I get to be in this awesome place? Nathan replied, that's the prophet, replied to the king, hey, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. Now, this is a little bit rushed. He shouldn't have said that so quickly. All right? Sometimes when you're winning and everything you do is winning and, and then the prophet's looking at the king and he's, wow, and they, like God just made him the king. Sometimes you can get a little drunk on success and he's really like, hey, just do whatever, do whatever, man. Clearly everything you touch is blessed. So just do whatever. But thankfully, Nathan had a little bit more integrity to, than to leave it right there. Verse four, but the night... But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go tell my servant, David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've not been moving from place to place with it. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. This is 500 years. God says, I'm pretty used to this. I haven't brought this up yet. It seems like I know you've got, you've got a good plan, but just, just so we're clear, I didn't bring this up to you. This is just kind of your idea. Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built a house, built me a house of cedar? Okay, now we're going to flash forward. In the movie that we're pretending to be in right now, this is the present day. This is where King David, who's now old and gray and about to go on his merry way to heaven, is talking to his son Solomon. He says this, David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. Now it's unclear, is this more that Nathan said? Did God speak to David some other way uh, as time went by? All we know is this is what he says, God said to him. You've shed much blood and have fought many wars. You're not to build a house for my name because you've shed much blood on the earth in my sight, but you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, that, there's a real important hint right there, forever. See, sometimes, and, and we're, we're going to come back to this, but this is the heart of the story. See, what, what we all need to get when God says no to some of the desires of our hearts and what David needed to get is, David, there's somebody else this story is actually about. The story is actually about Jesus. See, all that God has done for David, all that he'd done for David's people, the Israelites, the people of God, all up until this time was to create a people through whom he could bring the Messiah. And with the Messiah, he could draw all people back to himself so there could be reconciliation between humans and God himself. And he's dropping a hint, hey, this is about Solomon, but it's about beyond Solomon because Solomon's not going to live forever. But Jesus Christ is going to come from this line, David. I'm making you a promise that I'm going to build a house, and it's better than a house that you're thinking about. Verse, we'll skip down to verse 14. So, so David starts telling him, okay, Solomon, I, like, I've done all this stuff. Now I want you to go for it, man. Build this temple. I've taken, verse 14, I've taken great pains to provide you provide for the temple of the Lord, a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed and wood and stone. And you might add to them, depending when you do this, Solomon, you might just keep on storing for a while and then, and then go. But whatever you do, Solomon, you're the one. You are to go. You are to do what I was only dreaming about. It was in my heart, but God said no. And you're the one who's going to go do it. Here's five phrases to soften the blow. Five phrases to soften the blow. When we sense or we somehow understand or maybe life is passing us by or we get to a stage where we just begin to contemplate, I don't know, maybe this isn't 
I really wanted this. I really wanted to do this, but maybe it's just not for me. I watch other people do it, but maybe it's not for me. When I was a kid, when I was 12 years old, I wanted to be the next Mike Tyson. I wanted to be him, man. Like I just, I just, I'd punch anything. I'd be punching holes in the walls in my basement. And I just, I just want to be Mike Tyson. But you know, I got a little older and I was like, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be Mike Tyson. <laughs> I haven't had one lesson. I don't think I'm going to do this. And other things began to be my interest and I was able to let it go. But there was a moment in time where the heart, desire of my heart was to be the next Mike Tyson. Do you have any things that you really, really, man, you hoped or you wanted or you were thinking about somebody else? You're like, I want that. And, and you want it. Here's five phrases to soften the blow. Number one, I had it in my heart. This is what David tells Solomon. I had it in my heart. Verse seven said, my son, I had it in my heart. And that's different than just like I had a whim. I had a thought, had an idea one day. He had it in his heart. That's core, man. He had it in his heart and he was able to admit it. And, and one level, like we're seeing, David, it's, it's, it's to your credit that you wanted to do that. That's a great thing to want to do. That was worship and that was true. And you wanted to do that. And we all have some things that, man, it's really good. It's not bad that you want to do it. Some of it, it's very noble. Others of it, it might be less noble. It might be just something you saw somebody else do, and there's some kind of jealousy or some kind of, you know, comparing or coveting. You're like, I, I, I want to do that too. Whatever it is, there comes a, a moment where we say, I'm going to be honest with myself. I wanted to do it. And this is hard to do sometimes. It's hard to be honest with ourselves because there, we, we, we keep this little maybe over here. Maybe if I don't tell anybody that I want to do it, maybe if I don't even admit it to myself, then if I don't get it or if I fail, I can just say, well, I didn't want to do it. Then I don't have to feel bad. I, I, don't, I don't actually have to fail. I can just be like, ha, 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 ha. I never actually wanted that anyway. So no loss. Can I challenge you and I to be as boldly honest as David was? Because he's not only telling himself, he's telling somebody else, hey, I wanted to do this. And God said, no. And maybe there's places where in the natural, you actually are talented enough to do it. And God just isn't allowing it to come to pass. And it doesn't mean you're incompetent. It doesn't mean you're less of a human. It doesn't mean those people are better than you or they figured out a special hack that you don't know or they just had different opportunities or different friends or, or whatever it was. Maybe it's just that that wasn't what God wanted for you, even though it was a right kind of a thing to want. Is anybody hearing this so far? This is where we begin to understand, oh, this is, there's so much freedom if we can get this. Even my limitations are part of God's wise plan. I'm gonna say that again, because you could just chew on that one all day. Even my limitations a part of God's wise plan. Even what I don't get to do, a part of God's wise plan. So I had it in my heart. Number two, you are not to build a house. This is what God says to David. You are not to build a house. David, you're not to do it. And he gives some reasons. Scholars speak about some other reasons. Let's deal with one of the reasons that he gives. You've shed too much blood. That's kind of a strange thing. Like David is a mighty general. He's the one who's, by God's power, conquered all of these foes. I mean, wasn't that part of God's plan that he would go and beat all these enemies? Well, yes, that's good. And it's good, especially for David. It's good for God's will for David's life. 
However, it becomes a little problematic as we might be able to see if you've got a very blood-soaked pair of hands that are ultimately responsible for building the temple for the holy God of love. I'll give you an example. Some of you know about John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, founding fathers of the United States. Excellent, amazing story. Okay, and if you know anything about them, you might know about their, their first friendship and then their long-term painful fight that they were in for many years and then how they reconcile at the end. What you might not know is while they both play key roles, they play different roles. John Adams was, was one of the architects of the, the thinking. How are we going to think out this revolution? Like, like, what are the ideas and how do we build on them one another, one, one another so that we can have this government that we're inventing essentially? Thomas Jefferson comes along with this eloquence and he's able to put into words this flowing prose that still inspires us today through the Declaration of Independence. They're both founding fathers, but the more you know about them, and I'm not, I, I, I appreciate Thomas Jefferson, I'll, I'll confess, if I'm, if I'm rooting for a team, I'm rooting for Adams, okay? So I think he's more forthright. Um, as I look at these two founding fathers, here's the problem. Jefferson wrote this dope stuff about all men being created equal. He's even on the record for saying, hey man, we got to get rid of slavery by 1800. But at the end of the day, John Adams had no slaves. Neither did his family. Neither did his wife's family. Like he's got the cred, man. He's got the one to say, I, my, my fingers aren't dirty from this. Whereas Thomas Jefferson, love him to death, but he had slaves. Do you see how that, as I look back at who built this thing? There's some kind of taint more on Jefferson's hands than there are on Adam's hands because he was involved in it. And in the same way, perhaps God is saying to David, bro, like you, you did what I needed you to do in your generation, but I'm not, I don't want any future generations to look back at me and think I'm the God of bloodshed or I'm the God who initiates war. Like that's not who I am. I'm the God of love and forgiveness and holiness. And it's better for everybody to understand me best if we just allow your son to do this, who's not going to have any of this commotion that you've had. It may be that there were still a lot of enemies to be defeated. David would have many more campaigns against opponents in the coming years. And it may be that, hey, that would have been a lot going on. If he's trying to raise up this temple or there's, and, and there's enemies coming along at the same time, they might knock it halfway down every other year and then he's got to rebuild the cup. And so it's too much going on. And so maybe it was, David, you, you can't do all of it, man. You got to do what I want you to do in your time on earth. And I wonder if there's a message in that for us. Hey, precious, it does you credit to want to do some of the things you want to do. But you can't do everything. And there's a specific set of things that you're supposed to do. And so let's just have you do that. Now, it may be that we're wondering, how do I know if God has apportioned me these different things that I'm supposed to do? Like, like how do I know if I'm supposed to be one of the ones that goes into this kind of career? How am I supposed to know if I'm supposed to be the one you know, that gets married or doesn't. How do I know what God is saying to me? David had a prophet. I ain't got nothing like that. Well, you don't. You do have the Holy Scriptures. You do have Holy Spirit-filled friends and counselors around you. But here's some, here's some tests. I've been testing this for about 25 years now. So I'll give you just a couple tips that I've found. First, you can ask the question, is there any sense that this is fruitful and working? <clears throat> like when something is God, it doesn't mean opposition means something is not 
God's presence on it. But there tends to be a sense of like, yeah, there's, there's push through, but it tends to also work and flourish and go well. Do you have any sense of joy when you do this thing? I can remember when I first was a Christian, I was an undergrad acting student. And I would go into these plays and I'd be like, oh, I'm so glad to finally be in this show. And I would walk out every night almost and be like, ugh, I feel dead. That is not what I am enjoying now. I thought this was it, but I feel like I'm pushing against something hard when I do this in a way that is distasteful to me. And yet when I would go preach, I don't know who was giving me permission to preach back then. Oh my gosh. But, but when I would go try to preach, it was like light and vitality would fill my soul and I felt more alive than anything. And that was one of the ways that I believe God was guiding my steps then was saying, this is, we could say anointed, and this is not, it's not even that you're not good at it. It's just that it's not what I'm calling you to do. Another way we can ask the question is, are doors opening without you having to force your way through them? See, God tends to pay for what he calls for. And if, if God is, if you, there's a sense of like, God is pushing me, God is helping me, God is opening up things that I could not get into on my own versus it seems like almost if you were to ask, and this is, this is where our counsel comes in, wise people who love you, when they start to be like, I don't know, I don't know, man. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't know. You need friends like that around you who love you enough. They're not going to coddle you, okay? They're not like a critic where they're just trying to tear you down. They're not in competition with you in some way. But they're also not a coddler, right? They're not, they're not like your, your grandma who just loves everything you do, and you can't really trust that she has any discernment about your life, okay? Because it's always a thumbs up. Probably not them. Probably coaches that care about you but also want the best for you and don't want you to waste several years doing a bunch of stuff that everybody else knows you probably should let go of so you can focus on the important things. Can I encourage you? Number one, get honest about what it is that you want God to do or what is it you wanted him to do. Number two, invite people, people you love, people you trust to tell you hard truth that you know and you even inform them, my flesh isn't gonna wanna hear it necessarily, but I still wanna hear it. I want to be able to hear what I might be missing. And you know what? This isn't a system, dude. This isn't like you just fill out a chart and then you know. This is a long-term journey that goes very slow, and it takes a lot of humility, a lot of openness, and a lot of prayer to discern. I think pretty, it's always by faith. I think pretty much mostly I'm kind of walking in what I think God is asking me to do. I had it in my heart. You are not to build the house. I myself took you. Here's what God is saying. I have better plans than you, David. When I'm the initiator, when I'm the initiator, it's a better plan. Verse eight, now then tell my servant, David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and I appointed you ruler over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you, and I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. Interesting, we're still talking about them today. I guess that promise worked. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. God says, David, my plans are just better than your plans, man. Everything that's happened to you, David, that's been good, you actually didn't think up. I did that. I came and got you out of the field. You didn't just have to get a bunch of brainstorm creative lists and be like, well, I wonder which ones 
No, I'm the one who ultimately supported and initiated and fought for you to bring about this stuff. And David, that means I'll do all the really, really great stuff. Okay, I'll make sure that your position, I'll give you the courage to take that step of action. I'll give you the wisdom to change course when it's time. But I'm the one really who's writing the story. I'm the one really who's supposed to get the glory. And sometimes this is the exact opposite of what we want, my friends. Let's just be real honest. God loves us so much, he won't necessarily give us what we want right now because he knows what we're gonna want later. When I was in my early 20s, I desperately, man, I wanted so bad to be a pastor right then. And yet here I am working on the railroad 10 hours a day. It's a horrific place to work. But on the way home, I would drive home. And, and back in those times, we didn't have podcasts or anything like that. So I'm just like going through, I'm in rural middle of nowhere, Illinois, just trying to find a radio station, okay? And all I can get for the most part is focus on the family. That's an hour and a half of my, my, my ride, just focus on the family. And so while I'm doing this, I'm hearing Dr. Dobson talk about, hey man, just be intentional with your family about this. I've got a brand new baby, okay, at, the, at this point. Be intentional with family dinners. Be intentional with how quickly you introduce your, your kids to the world in the all kinds of training and coaching and mentoring that every day I'm just, I'm a captive audience. I have nowhere to go and there's nothing else on. And so I'm just, I'm just getting this stuff. Well, then God knows for the next couple decades, all of that was incredibly crucial and shaped my family life, my home life, everything that we value, everything that we're trying to impart to my kids and then possibly to grandkids. All that because I didn't get what I want. And if I would have been trying to pastor some podunk little church, I probably wouldn't have been in position to learn all that. I would have been just going off my own brain. So is it possible? There's some things, yeah, it's, <clears throat> some things it's no, but some things it's just not now because I know best, because my plans are the right plans, God would say. I know where to take you and when to take you. And I know what you need when you don't even have the brains in your head to think that's a thing you would ever need. And yet God wisely, <clears throat> his plans are blessed. Even our limitations are part of his wise plan. And God says, my plans, David, my plans, you person who's tuning into fears, maybe for the very first time, my plans go beyond you. That's the strength of them. They go beyond your life. See, this is what the world can do. Best case scenario. The world says, hey man, make it count. Like make your days count and make it count according to what you think is counting. What you think is the best possible scenario. God says, um, I know the best possible scenario. And it's not always what you think it is. But I know how to make it count. And I know how to make it count in a way that affects your grandkids. And affects the kids after them. And the kids after them. That's what he's telling David. And that's what he would tell us. Trust. Now see, if this is all there is. If this is the only life we think will, there will ever be. Then yeah, we've got a lot of urgency. Well, no man, I better make it count now. But if heaven is real and God is telling us the truth and Jesus Christ rose from the dead, just like he said he did and proved that everything he said was right. If that's really true, then this isn't the end. Then it dramatically matters what I do now because it's going to echo not only for the people here, but for me there, depending what I do. Um, I know some of you aren't familiar with um, giving a, an amen, a hearty amen to your preacher, but you know, I just want to invite you to consider that as a way to you know, keep the momentum going here. God's glory is the most important thing. He said something really interesting though. Verse nine, he said, I've been with you wherever you've gone. Let's not, let's not speed over that. I've been with you. 
Sometimes the very thing that we need more of and more revelation of is God's presence, but we will only cling to it really if we don't have the things that we want, okay? So in other words, when I was working on that railroad, when I was driving all those hours in the car, I wasn't really getting much of anything I want. I was keeping my kid and wife fed. That's what I was doing. I wasn't getting what I want, but you know what I got? I got God's presence. There's a training time. There's a time to, you just lean in so heavy to Jesus. Some of you have seen this, this painting or the stained glass window where Jesus is walking around with the lamb on his shoulders, right? What's real, the story behind that is that that lamb has a broken leg. And Jesus knows if I don't hold the lamb close, he won't learn my heartbeat and he'll wander off again and break more legs. But if I just keep him on my shoulders, he'll feel my skin. He'll begin to feel my heartbeat. And he'll get so afraid to not be around me that he'll always stay near. Sometimes the reason we don't have what we want is because God is saying, you need another round of just being on my shoulders, learning to lean, learning to need me. So that when you finally get, because y'all know this, you've had that moment where you've, you've had a season where you got what you wanted and it caused you kind of to drift from God. You're like, well, God, thanks, you know, and I'll see you. And God says, well, we don't need more of that. I want to be able to give you the thing and you stay close. Somebody say, God knows best. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Here's his response. Who am I? Sovereign Lord. And what is my family that you brought me this far? And as if this were not enough. Okay, so remember, he's just been disappointed. He's just been told you don't get the thing that you wanted. And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant. Lord. He's saying, God, you... What's ridiculous is that you know me. You know that I'm not impressive. You know that I'm not all that. You see my worst moments and still you want to give this to me. And what David is able to do now is he can take the thing that he wanted so much and he can push it over to God as a form of an offering and say, you're worth this. See, God, you've been good to me. So you took me from nowhere. And, and many of us, if we, were to, if we were to go through your past together, if we were to sit down this afternoon and say, okay, let's just, let's just talk about the events. Let's, let's list them all out. We would see time after time where if we look through eyes of faith, God was being faithful to you. If we look at your life right now with the circumstance, yeah, you don't have everything, but you've got stuff. You've got those relationships. You've got some opportunities. You don't have all their opportunities, but you have some opportunities that are pretty doggone dope. I'll bet you we could find some. You don't necessarily have all someone else's relationships, but you've got one or two, man, that, oh, thank God you've got them because God has been good to you. And God says, I know what's coming. Thank me for that now. See, my plans are only good for you. I'm only trying to love you and bless you. And so the next one is, who am I? I had it in my heart. You're not to build build a house. I myself took you. And who am I? That's David's response. Who am I? Why should you even be good to be like this? He's contented and thankful. That's how he starts. He starts contented and thankful. He takes inventory. He says, I guess I don't need that, but I'm thankful for the now, thankful for this day. I'm thankful for everything you've done. But then he, he transitions a little bit and he starts to praise God for what's coming. Oh God, you're going to do this thing then? So you're going to do something with my son or, or whatever? Great. I'm going to expect. See, what's so powerful about David is just because God says no to this doesn't mean God's going to stop being good to him. There's a lot of life left. And David is essentially saying, 
bring it. Oh, you're gonna bless me? And see, some of us, we'd be too timid to do that. We'd be like, that's not spiritual enough. David says, well, you said it. God, you said you were gonna bless me. Um, can you just back the dump truck up this way and pour on the blessing, please? So you don't have to censor God's generosity. You can just be like, I think if you think it's a good idea, then let's go with that. And so there's a lot of time left. The, the, the point is, is there time left? I'll bet you most of us, you got a little bit of time left here at least. There's time left. God, I can't have this. But if there's anything else that you want to pour out, that you want to fulfill your promise, that you want to rock my eternity by pouring out blessing now, I'll, I'm just saying I'm wide open, God. I'll take it. You go ahead and bring that stuff. It's true that all my limitations are part of God's wise plan, but all my limitations don't limit God's generosity in a bazillion other places. Thank you very much. And I say that, my friends, because sometimes we make the thing, the one thing God is saying no to, the thing, instead of it's just a thing. It's just a thing. In other words, there's more for you to do. There's still more in store. There's a lot of adventure. There's a lot of highs and lows. There's a lot of ways you can cling to God. And there's a lot of ways you can be helpful to people. And that leads us to number five. I've taken great pains. I've taken great pains. What do you say in verse 14? He said, okay, so now he's back in the present day. Remember, he's talking to his son. And he's saying, by the way, when I was told that Solomon, I didn't just coast then. I didn't just give up and be like, well, what am I going to do? He said, no, I've taken great pains. Solomon, I raised all kinds of money for you. I've made all these blueprints. I've got all kinds of stuff set in place. God said no to this, but he didn't say no to any of this stuff. And so I've spent the rest of my life, I'm an old man now, your whole life, I've been prepping. I've been getting ready. I've been storing up. I've been getting ready to pass on. And by the way, there's a ton for me to now pass on to you. See, just because God wouldn't let me do it in my time didn't mean I couldn't radically prepare somebody else. It didn't mean there wasn't somebody else around that I could invest in. And so here would be my question. Yeah, maybe there's some, some things that you're discerning. There's, this is maybe a no, or it's a not now, or it's a wait a little bit longer, but you still have time to invest heavily in the other people around you. There are protégés. There are people that they need what you have, and it can be financial, it can be wisdom. Whatever it is, they need it. They might even just need someone to speak into them and say, you can do this. And see, this is where, this is where we begin to grow up. And we begin to say, the story is not about me. See, here's my problem. I was raised loving Star Wars. And what that does is it makes you kind of want to be Luke Skywalker. And you begin to see your life as like, how do I arrange such things so that I am Luke Skywalker? So that I'm the guy. I'm the guy who wins. I'm the guy who goes in and blows up the Death Star and saves my father, Vader. Like, how can I be that guy? And the problem for me, and maybe it's a problem for you, is we start to think there's only one kind of hero. And it's what everybody might think is the main guy. I want to submit to you, there's a whole lot of heroes that aren't the main guy, and they're actually kind of cooler heroes. Okay, so let me introduce you to you. I know I'm getting into some deep nerd lore, all right? We're just going to go there. We're already here. Let's just go there. And I think if, if, a, if, you know, if stories have been around for almost 50 years now, I think that you, there's a little bit of obligation of society to like get on board and, and at least try to understand what we're saying with some of these characters. You've got Obi-Wan Kenobi. Maybe you're like an Obi-Wan Kenobi. <clears throat> Let's see that picture. We had Jefferson and Adams. Here's, that's Obi-Wan and Bail Organa, okay? We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to Bail in a minute. Think about Obi-Wan. Okay, he goes from being 
essentially like the best dude. He's, he's super skilled. He's always ready. He's always nice. He goes from being like this incredible Jedi to being this guy whose primary job is to wait and watch and then train and pour in all of his spiritual acumen into this young boy who is supposed to go do something really important in the future. Is it possible you got a lot of spiritual substance, but it really isn't for you. It's about pouring it out onto somebody else. It's about giving away now what you have. Yeah, you went to a lot of Bible studies. You studied a lot of stuff. You've been in a lot of different environments, but really the point is not for you to be Luke. The point is for you to invest it somewhere else. And you got to think about like, what he's fictional, but what, what is it like to be Obi-Wan? You're spending a whole lot of time waiting for a battle you won't be at, for that battle to be won because of your investment and your patience now. Or maybe you're like Bail Organa, a little less known. Okay, this is Princess Leia's foster father. I'm just going to loop you in and, and make sure everybody understands. Princess Leia's foster father, but he's not like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Or Obi-Wan Kenobi is kind of like a spiritual person, spiritual mentor. Baal is a great senator that is subverting the system. He's arranging things behind the scenes. He's managing funds and leading things this way and hiring people and recruiting people to all do something for a battle he also will never be at. He's equipping people to be able to do something he's not going to be around to do. Is it possible that like David did for Solomon? My friends, maybe, maybe we're not the main star here. Maybe God is saying no, because there's other people after you or just a little bit behind you that they're supposed to reap some of the fruits. They're going to walk into a battle and they're going to say, I am ready because of what they did for me. I'm ready because of what they poured into me. Parents, you know this. This is the whole mission of parenting. They're ready because of what you poured into them. So Carter, what about me? What about what I get? I'm glad you asked. <clears throat> As we close this sermon, 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You haven't seen it. You haven't imagined it. Whatever you're like, whatever the no is for you, God says no to this, yeah. But even the thing you were imagining is nothing compared to what he is going to bring you. That's where your story ends. That's where you get there and you're like, wow, this was so worth it. Let's close with this illustration. Um, my wife makes an incredible breakfast for dinner. It's so good. When I'm up in my office slash bedroom working on a sermon perhaps, and I'll begin to smell one or two things. Or maybe I'll just smell the sausage. I'll be like, hmm, sausage. That's going to be pretty good. But then a scent will be added and it will be the bacon. An improvement. Then there's protein pancakes. Wow. Mmm. Things are getting better as those things waft up the stairs. And then delicious eggs and all the things that she whips together in her magical way. Soon, my senses are exploding and I can't wait to get down to breakfast for dinner. I know the breakfast for dinner is good in every sense, but sometimes some of the things God is saying no to, yeah, he's saying no to that. That's just one piece of what he's bringing together entirely. The, the thing he's saying no to smells bad for a minute, but you're going to get to a point in heaven and you're going to see the whole breakfast for dinner come together. 
this was a no, this was a no, this was a no, but then he's gonna whip it together. This is what I was doing. You couldn't see it. You couldn't see what I was doing. I didn't tell you everything. I said no to that because by saying no to that, you got this and you got this long line now following you of all the good that is coming through your wake. Sometimes God says no. And we, we shouldn't always just assume he's saying no. We should, man, we'd go for the gold and, and believe big and do everything that we can do. But sometimes even so, God says no to something that's deep in our heart. And we need to have confidence. Hey, look, just like Jesus Christ came to rescue sinners from the penalty of their own sin and reunite them back with their heavenly father, just like he was faithful to be resurrected, he's gonna be faithful to make it all make sense. You can trust even your limitations are part of God's wise plan. Believe him, trust him. You won't be disappointed in the end. Let's pray. Wow, God, there's nobody like you. Nobody else could have a clue how to do that. But you take all of our stuff and you whip together this extraordinary meal. Sometimes we get tastes of it down here but we know the real meal is coming. Would you give us faith? Give us confidence that we don't need to be the main character of the story. All we need to do is help other people see you as the main character of their story. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.